Hey, welcome to The Look Back, my pandemic podcast, or hopefully post-pandemic podcast, broadcasting here from the basement of Newman Media Studios. My name is Keith Newman, and I'm the host of The Look Back. And this is a place where we have some fun conversations with old friends, a few newsmakers, and some rule breakers, all in the name of sharing insights and experiences, along with a little bit of levity and fun. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And if you're so inclined, or perhaps even open to some bribery, you'll share this podcast with some friends who might also enjoy it. Let's go on to the show. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, how you doing? Joshua, I got you. You got me. That is awesome. You're uh, catching me. I'm in the basement of Newman Media Studios. Welcome to The Look Back. Cool. Thank you. Hey, friends. This episode is sponsored by Estrella, the blockchain-powered cap table and shareholder management platform that allows executives to manage and leverage their company's equity as a recruitment and retention tool, as well as a resource to enhance company culture. Estrella meets all of your shareholder management needs, along with the highest level of customer service and at the best price. Ask to speak with an equity expert or get a demo today of Estrella at Estrella, A-S-T-R-E-L-L-A dot com. Hey, gang, we have the uh, the founder of Sci-Fi Foods here, Bay Area company, doing some really neat things in the food um, space. And I'm going to let Joshua kind of give us a little bit of a description of the product, the technology why it's so important to us um, going forward. But um, Josh, I really appreciate you taking the time and I love the idea, um, but I just think it's better coming from your lips to describe and give it the proper the proper um, background. Cool, yeah. Look, at Sci-Fi Foods, we're really working on developing the future of meat, right? We're figuring out how, how we can create real meat, but growing it from animal cells instead of from animals. But so the, it's real animal muscle and fat cells that we're growing outside of the animal in bioreactors. Now, the, the first products that we'll be bringing to market will be blended products that combine plant-based ingredients with cultivated animal cells. There's various reasons for that. Um, and we're focusing on, on ground beef and, and burgers specifically to start. Uh, and you know, the big challenge in cultivated meat is how can you do this cheaply enough and at large scale enough to have a big impact. And sure. we're pretty unique in the space because we, we use the power of synthetic biology and tools like CRISPR in order to solve those challenges. So many, so many questions just from that description. Yeah. How does, how does the vegetarian and vegan respond to uh, this offering? Is this something that they can uh, dip their toes into or is it not generally accepted? Yeah, look, it's not on the market yet, right? So in many ways, these are hypothetical questions. Okay. But you know, why are people vegan vegetarian? There's a variety of reasons, but for the majority of people, it's because of either animal welfare concerns or environmental concerns. Right. It meets one of the biggest contributors to climate change. And cultivated meat solves both of those problems. And so I know I certainly know a lot of vegans and vegetarians who are super excited about about what we're doing 
you know, in most most ways I look at this, I was thinking, well, we've got impossible, we've got beyond, they've had their time in the sun, and now they've kind of figured out their level, right? To, to a certain yeah. extent, to a certain extent, maybe there's more innovation. But now you're coming forward and you're presenting this more as a revolutionary idea than an evolutionary idea. And I think it's because you're really um uh weighing into the technology side. You mentioned CRISPR, which is just another mind-bending kind of thing to get my head around. But um, from a from an innovation standpoint, where does this really um, stand from a revolutionary product? Yeah, you know, look, plant-based meat was a really good step in the right direction, right? Certainly way better for the environment. But ultimately, it still isn't meat and it doesn't taste like meat. And for most meat eaters, they want to eat meat, yeah. you know, and they certainly don't want to pay more for a product that, that tastes worse which fundamentally is unfortunately the kind of proposition for, for most plant-based meat today. Um, and cultivated meat offers a solution to that, right? Because it allows you to have the full taste and experience of real meat because ultimately it is real, right? But just without any of those problems that, that conventional meat is presenting us with today. That's so, so interesting. Do you feel like um, this is something cultivated meat does become its own category at some point. How does this, how do you see this evolving over the next zero to five years? Yeah, no, it will become its own category in the short to medium term, mm -hmm. but ultimately it will just take over meat because that's what it is. Because of what? Will it be price? Will it be health concerns? Will it be environmental concerns? Uh, you know, I think on all of it, right? Um, I mean, when people think about meat, right, people like to imagine like, oh, like the happy cow in the field, you know, and like, yeah, if you if if you've got pasture raised, you know, meat, then great. That's like a really nice thing. That's a nice way of doing it. Right. Unfortunately, that's just not the reality for the most majority of the meat and beef that's consumed. Something like if you look at all meats, it's like 99% of it is factory farmed in the US. Beef, it's a bit lower. It's like <clears throat> still 70-something percent of all cattle go through factory farms, right? And so, you know, what are, what are we trying to replace? We're not trying to replace the, the cow in the field, right? But we are trying to replace that industrial animal agriculture, which isn't good for the planet. It isn't good for the animals. isn't good for human health, right? It's not good for any of it. Uh, yeah. And we can, if we, it's already industrial, right? So if we're going to do it in, in, in an industrial way and going to be producing it, let's do it in a much better way. You know, let's, let's produce that real meat, but without all the problems that those things entail. When you, when you look at that major statement, and I'm really curious about this now, because I feel like you've got a good story, but we're so entrenched in the way that we shop and buy and farm and do all these things. Yeah. What's going to cause that radical disruption that you're looking for to turn your product into the standard versus the exception. Yeah, and I, look, fundamentally, you have to have a great tasting product, right? Because in food, it's all about repeat rates, right? You, you can get people to try something for novelty, but then you know, it has to be a great tasting product that makes them want to come back. And, and you've got to have a brand that makes people feel good about themselves. And for us, you know, we think we've got to get people excited about the future, right? Because, you know, it's easy to be scared of the future. It's easy to be scared of climate change and melting ice caps and all this kind of stuff, right? And we don't think the way to get people to shift their behavior, especially around food, is to kind of moralize 
or like tell them that they're bad if they eat a conventional meat burger, right? Yeah. But, but we think it is it is a better route to just get people excited that, hey, it's super cool that we've figured out how to grow real meat without the animal. And like, yes, it's like uses CRISPR and all this technology, but it's amazing because that's what's making this possible, right? And it's like this, this is like the, the future, the, the sci-fi utopian future that people used to dream about, right? That we can eat all the meat we want and we don't need to cut down the rainforest anymore. We don't need to worry about cow belts or anything like that, right? We can just enjoy burgers with friends completely guilt-free. And that's like a, I think and, a, a better and future. Maybe, and maybe this just has to run its course and it's going to take a little longer. I would tell you that I could drive into um, an In-N-Out burger drive through yeah. and have a burger standard and a burger. What was the, what was the phrase we used for the category? Cultivated cultivated burger and i would understand what that meant of course and i would choose that yeah if it i thought yeah it tasted the same and it was the same price i i, I would love it but i don't i don't think we're there where we're going to see that inversion in terms of of you growing this without some kind of lightning rod of differentiation and i don't know if it's going to be environmental or cost or taste and like you said it's really going to be a combination of things um, I'm excited by it, but I guess I'm a little more, um, I'm not as optimistic about how fast it can change just because of, of taste and how they're, they're developed over time. And I'm, yeah. and I'm, I'm on to build it up. Yeah, for sure. Do you have a secret plan, Josh, to do as you're launching this? Yeah. What's, well, what's look, your I, I, in terms of product launch? I love your website, by the way, it looks like you. you really are ready to, to scream from the mountaintops and get things going. Yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be ready to start selling burgers uh, second half of 2024 is the goal. Okay. You know, we got to go through FDA and USDA approval and get a pilot plant op- operational. So there's a few steps to do before that, but we're getting closer to it every single day. We're right. really excited about that. That's cool. That's cool. And um, with that, I know you've got some ideas in terms of how we're going to grow because you know, you got to do the taste test. You've got to do the 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 echo friendly um, story and get that out there as well. I mean, I think that's compelling as as all get out. And then price is there going to be a major price differential at some point? I know scale is is what you you, you mentioned that. Yeah, certainly. <clears throat> certainly, when we first launch out of the pilot plant, it'll be pretty small scale. It will be more expensive, mm-hmm. but our goal is to as quickly as possible get to like cost parity. With That'd be great. beef at commercial scale. That'd be great. That does seem a little bit like the impossible uh, beyond path. They had to get to those kinds of steps also. Yeah. Yeah. There's a certain scale you need to be at in order to be able to produce it really economically. I get that. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for you. Hey, we're in an interesting time right now for launching a company, almost in any category, right? Yeah. Interest rates are crazy. Valuations are dropping in the opposite direction. Um you know, uh, raising money is challenging. Growing a startup has its pluses and minuses right now. Some people say it's a great time. Some people say it's the worst of times. Yeah. <laughs> um, how are you feeling about uh, building a company right now in this uh, sort of uh, whiplash uh, period of the last 18 months? Yeah, you know, look, look, there's no doubt that the fundraising environment at the moment is is extremely challenging. It's one of the most challenging it's been for, for a decade. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I started my first, well, I started some of my first companies and kind of like my very, very first, I guess, was like 06, 07. 
but it was tiny and failed. And then my next company was like, you know, 07, 08. And it was just coming out of the, that crash that had happened right. then. That's right. And, um, you know, the nice thing about a brand new startup is that you're starting from zero, right? And so uh, in some ways you're in a better position because it's easier to grow, right? It's easier to grow from zero. If you have something big you're trying, or like a, a growth rate from years that you're now trying to protect as it's getting harder and harder to maintain that 100% growth at bigger volumes and the market's contracting, you know, that can be in some ways more challenging than starting from something from scratch at these kind of times. Um, now, fundraising for sure is more challenging. Everyone has to be, has to tighten the belts and be more conservative in their plans, be more conservative in their hiring, you know, figure out how to do things on more of a bit of a shoestring budget. Um, but that's okay. You know, in many ways, the market had got too bloated, right? We were at the top of the cycle. People were crazy. crazy ideas were getting yeah. Funded. Crazy ideas were getting funded. Yeah. People were raising too much money. They were spending too aggressively. Salaries were getting pushed too high. Rents were getting pushed too high. Like it, it had to stop, you True. know, and, and it's painful to go through a clearing out. Um, and ultimately in these periods, this is kind of, I think when the, you know, you separate the wheat from the chaff a little bit in terms of as a founder, hey, are you able to figure out how to knuckle down, be scrappy? And, uh, you know, keep, keep everything going and alive and, and ensure you're making progress, even with constricted budgets and uh, make sure you're in a, a really strong place uh, for when the market starts to turn again. Joshua, I had a uh, chat with a startup uh, that I advise um, the other day, and it just came up. Hey, how much should I raise and how do I look at that from a standpoint of how do I how much cash? do I need to keep on hand um, before my next raise? Yeah. So um, how do I look at that? How do you advise on the point of what's the right amount to raise to keep you solvent for X amount of, of time? Yeah. Well, look, you know, you always need more. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you, whatever you plan to spend, like, you know, stuff will come up, things will change. You'll need to buy that extra piece of equipment or that extra hire or, you know, there's something that will happen, right? Um, so it's always good to raise more, ultimately, if you're in a VC back, if you're a VC back company already and you're on that cycle, yeah, like it's better to have more. What that if said, I'm thinking, so if I'm thinking between like, I want to raise between four and five, you'd say go for five. I would say, well, yes, ideally, right? Um, in terms of how you go out to the market though, you may not want to go out for five, you may want to go out for four. Because it's, uh, you know, if you're getting demand and VCs are buying, it's always easier to say, well, yo, hey, we're being oversubscribed. And so we're increasing the brown size to five. And, you know, people get excited by that. Whereas if you're like going for five and then you say, well, you know, actually we're going to do four and a half because that's the, yeah. you, know, the you know, four and a half can either be like a massive win story if you started at four or a really like challenging story if you started going out saying for five. Right. You know, you know, those emotions matter for investors. Is there some pushback? Like if you tried to take it up to five and that was going to give you enough money for like a, a an 18 month or two year runway. I don't I, I, I think VCs are a little bit reluctant to give you that much runway. Like they want you uh, to be a little hungrier. No pun intended. You know, in this environment, I think actually investors are pretty happy to see a two year runway. Right, because everyone's worried 
everyone's still terrified about what the fundraising environment is going to be like next year. Mm-hmm. You know, most investors we speak with uh, still think the next year is going to be extremely tough. End of next year could actually be a really bad time to be fundraising. So there's going to be a lot of companies out needing to raise money. And so I think actually investors feel quite comfortable, much more comfortable today with you saying this is going to be a two-year runway than they may have done a couple of years ago. Yeah, interesting. Okay, I'll park that conversation. Let's go back to food for a second. Um, I was involved with a um, with an ag tech, food tech kind of company. Um, I still am, actually. Um, and I love what they're doing. Um, and completely unbeknownst to me, the question came up of food scarcity and food security and what we yeah. were doing in those areas. And, you know, talk about a little bit of a privileged background and coming from a place where, you know, there are big pockets that, that you don't see. But food scarcity and security are huge issues. Yeah. Yeah. No, completely. You know, around the world, it's a big issue and it's a problem that is is getting worse, right? Because climate change is causing a lot of issues, right? It's decreasing arable land. You know, even just in the US, we're starting to see, you know, the terrible drought that's been going on in the Midwest for years, starting to decrease cattle herds, you know, because farmers just can't sustain the amount right. of animals that they were used to with the water that, that's there. Right. And there's all kinds of reasons for this, but but we're seeing this pattern around the world um, and that these are problems that are, that are going to keep getting worse. And, you know, unfortunately, like, I mean, about 30 percent of all arable land is is related to the Catholic to food, to meat, sorry, in some way, um, either for animals themselves, like pasture land or to to grow the feed crops for right. animals. Right. Right. It's very inefficient in terms of um how much food you've got to feed the animals in terms of how much actual calories you get out. Uh, and so we've got all these, we've got a lot of conflicting pressures because as people around the world are getting wealthier, they want to eat more and more meat. And that's taking up more and more you know, land, more and more resources, having more and more of a climate impact. At the same time, climate change is decreasing the amount of arable land and putting pressure on all these things. And so I think we're going to see you know, the food prices uh, continue to rise and meat prices especially continue to rise yeah. significantly uh, in the near future. The wave, the wave you're swimming into is just getting larger, isn't it? Yeah. It is and indeed. we didn't mention, I mean, that's more scarcity. The security side is how we protect ourselves from the supply in the supply chain of yeah. making sure product is clean and healthy and not, not passing uh, diseases. I know that's uh that's a real issue as well. And something yeah. that you would and antibiotic usage as well, right? This is one of the big some of the big issues with you know intensive feeding lots or factory farming, right? They're more efficient in some ways, uh, but you know they cause a lot of local pollution. There can be a lot of diseases. You know they have to stuff all the animals full of antibiotics to try and minimize that, which has all kinds of potential downstream effects on human health. Um, yeah. And so yeah, there's a lot of challenges that that are only getting bigger. You. Um... Have U.S. as targeted as your main market, or do you see uh, obviously it's international opportunities everywhere? But where do you see your uh, trajectory? Yeah, the U.S. is definitely our, our number one focus. Right, it's a huge market, and this is obviously where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we do have plans for for world domination for sure and international expansion. Um, your yeah, Asia is obviously a massive market, especially for pork, and uh, there's a huge demand for meat alternatives in, in Europe. So will you bring some product back to your uh, back to your homeland? You know, I'd love to. Um, <laughs> it, yeah. Interestingly, you know, 
I was not a not a supporter of Brexit, but one upshot for us as a company is that um, you know they are moving faster to support innovation in, in food, um, and so we think it's probably we're probably more likely to get approval to sell our product in the UK much faster than the EU for for various reasons. Oh, that's great. Okay, one more pivot. <laughs> I want to talk about your book. What gave you the idea? Uh, to to write message me. Well, I know you've had uh, a, a prior entrepreneurial back uh, past. So uh, yeah. bring bring us up to speed. What what brought that uh, to light? Yeah, it was a fun process, and it really was. It was a business. Mm-hmm. It was for the business purpose. Yeah, yeah. My my last company, Conversocial, uh, I founded it really kind of heyday of social media. It was kind of like 2010. Um, And initially, it was really focused on helping companies do customer service on social media, you know, big brands, airlines, Google, retailers would use our software. You mean like chats and bots and things like that? Well, so initially, it was really human customer service agents who Uh were doing customer service over Twitter, over Facebook. And then as the years went on, um, the, the focus shifted where it became much more about messaging channels, including like Apple iMessage and you know, Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp, these private messaging and AI and bots started to become a much bigger part of it and more important. And uh, the book was really in support of that shift. It was like, hey, the world is moving to this asynchronous messaging and, and AI is starting to play a much bigger role. And it really wanted to help companies who could be our and our clients understand that shift and how to use AI and, and bots and messaging as part of their customer service mix. And so kind of wrote the book as a as a, a little guide to help people understand that transition. All right. Is there a second book for the uh, the food ag tech world? You know, maybe at some point, I got to say, keep, the company's keeping me a little bit too busy to, <laughs> to go and write a book right now. But, uh, yeah. but I, I love writing it and uh, I do really enjoy writing. So it's the hardest exactly. thing to do, though, isn't it? The discipline it takes to get it written. Of course, it would help if you have a good publisher or a good editor and things like that. Yeah, no, I had a great editor. You know, I, I'm pretty fast at writing. Yeah. Um, but it, it probably took about three months where for those three months, like most mornings, I had a great COO at the time. And I was like, hey, I'm just like between every morning between nine to 12. All I'm, you know, I'm just writing. I'd stay at home and just write, and I'd go into the office in the afternoon and kind of got the first got the first draft done over those three months, and um, then you know had a great. It was six months of going back and forth and on stop with the editor doing his do a version, I'd do a version, he'd do a version, I'd do a version before we kind of got to the the final the final manuscript. Right. Well, Josh, now you have the advantage of of chat GBT or something of that of that nature. I know, right? You just have just... AI write your next book. Yeah, exactly. I'll just edit it instead. <laughs> that, could, that could happen. Well, listen, uh, you're a neighbor up in San Francisco. I want to continue to keep up to date with this story. It's a, it's a fantastic one, not because I love the business proposition, but I love the whole social impact opportunity right. that you're in front of also really uh, a very impactful way to uh to move society to move our culture forward in a very uh very healthy way so i want to wish you tons of success i know okay. we were a little bit further away i wish i could go get one today because i'm i'm getting hungry oh yeah you should swing by at some point the, the labs in the east bay were five minutes from oakland airport oh fantastic oh. well 
it was great to have you on the look back. Thanks for making a little bit of time for us today. Absolutely. Thanks, Keith. It was great. Thanks for listening to The Look Back. We do appreciate your support, welcome any feedback, and would love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and even consider sharing it with some of your friends. For more information and other cool info, check us out at newmanmediastudios.com.